Alright, <clears throat> so again, this evening we are continuing on in our consideration of the blessings of the new covenant in Christ's blood. So far we've looked at the blessings of regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, and good works. And so this is going to bring us then to saving faith, which is proven by those works and affects our justification and our sanctification. But before we get into that, I am going to do as I tried to customarily do and read where we're at in the confession. Um, so we are in chapter 7 and really looking at sections 2 and 3. Um, so picking up in section 2, it says, Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, this part's going to be really relevant to what we're talking about, at least in the beginning tonight. On their part, he requires faith in him. So that's a condition, right? Uh, that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. So he requires faith then he gives the spirit that enables said faith. Okay? So saving faith is going to be the first thing we talk about. That's really important for you to catch both sides of that equation there. Uh, but section 3 it says, This covenant is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed first of all to Adam and the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. After that it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. So, that we get into the blessing of saving faith. Saving faith, so not just belief. The blessings that you're talking about are chapters 11 through 16. Is that kind of what we're doing? Uh, more than that. Okay. Uh, it, most of these blessings are contained in chapters 10 through 18. Okay. Um, we're not the ones we're talking about tonight. All of them are in the confession. Right. When we get to the very end, there are a few of them that are actually not. At least they don't have a chapter about it. Okay. Um, but those will be the last ones we cover. All right. So what we're doing tonight, yes, uh, there is a chapter on saving faith. Fourteen. Fourteen. That's it. All right. What's the difference between... Uh, I, I'm in the book of John right now, and basically uh, the, I'm finishing up a uh, uh, read-through of the whole scripture since my stroke. Uh, and so basically the situation, though, is that... Uh, uh, that in the book of John, uh, believe is all the way through there. Yep. But basically, the situation is that uh, uh, you uh, seem to differentiate between faith and belief. Uh, no. Okay, good. I don't. They're right. the same thing. I mean, seriously, <clears throat> that's, I mean, it is just absolutely uh, standing out everywhere. Actually, so... Usually, I try to use some uh, proof texts 
actually, hold on, that mindful thing I was talking about. Okay, so the question was about um, differentiating between belief and faith. And I'm saying I don't differentiate between belief and faith. I think, at least if we're talking about saving faith and belief, those are the same thing. It's okay, just good. different words right. for the same thing. Just, um, now, uh, what I was going to say, though, is so I try to use proof texts, uh, generally speaking, uh, after I get to the end of whatever I'm talking about, right? So I have proof texts that we were willing we'll get to tonight, and I've got uh, seven proof texts, okay? Of the seven, three are in John. Okay, so we're we're definitely going to be talking about John's conception. It's a rich book. It actually is, and it's interesting that you would say this is a side note. So it's interesting that you would say that you're in John because uh, I'm actually that's what I'm studying as well. All of John's writings, not necessarily just the gospel. Um, I'm studying that as well as the letters um, and our family worship. We're in John's gospel. Right. But then personally, you, you, like I read First John the last two days. You've got the chronology uh, uh, that I, I do. came up with. I do, and, and I use it too. And basically the situation is that uh, uh, this is the one that was written in 95 A.D., uh, and basically uh, it's, uh, it's the end. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I've made it, I've made it all, since the stroke, I've made it all the way through. Uh, and basically, awesome. no, no, um, I've got three more chapters. <laughs> Still, uh, that's awesome. Um, no, I, particularly just in my personal study, that's where I'm at. I'm just studying John's writings specifically. Um, but anyway, that's another note. Let me get back on uh, saving faith. No, it's not. It, uh, okay, so saving faith. And that word saving is important <laughs> um, because there is a kind of belief or a kind of faith that is not saving faith. And so we're about to get into that. <clears throat> so first thing, though, is including this as a blessing of the covenant may be a bit controversial as it is manifestly the condition for entrance into the covenant. That's why I pointed that out when we were in section two. He requires faith for our entrance into the covenant. The reason for its inclusion in the list of covenant blessings is simply stated in our confession as well, though. So chapter 14, section 1, says this. The grace of faith. Note, faith is described as a grace. It is a gracious Blessing, the grace of faith, enables the elect to believe so that their souls are saved. It is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. In other words, the reason for the condition for entrance into the covenant also being included in the blessings of the covenant is that the condition itself is graciously supplied by God. We don't meet the condition. So that's why I included in the blessings of the covenant because God's the one that supplies it graciously. Um, To put it another way, the very means of our entrance 
into this most gracious covenant is itself most graciously supplied by God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 most clearly spells out that faith itself is the gift of God. And it is the gift of God by which we are joined to Christ and created anew in Him. So, what then is saving faith? Can, can I just read Absolutely. One, one thing to you? Absolutely, um, go ahead. Titus 1, verse 1, talks about what we're talking about. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth according to according with godliness that that's that word that faith is the same one as that believing it's um, it's always a gift from God never never something that we can produce by by people or ourselves and I, per, yes normally uh, 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 given to us by the spirit Yes. The serious so, situation is the spirit is enemy to this. Oh, absolutely. No, no, I That's who creates the faith in us. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Pastor. The spirit. Yes. Yeah, um so so like in that passage, and that was not one of the proof texts, so thank you for sharing that one, so that's another one. Um I think even there you see not only does God create the faith, he's the one who actually uh ordains and brings about the means to the creation of that faith. So, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, so, he used the Holy Spirit. Typically, this is how this goes. The Holy Spirit uses the means of the preaching of the word and thereby regenerates or puts saving faith into um, and regeneration and faith are not the same thing. But, uh, both of those things happen. He regenerates and gives us faith and enables us, okay, uh, to believe. <clears throat> so that's also in this little section. In verse three, it says, "At the proper time, manifested in His Word through the preaching, proclaiming, and at the proper time, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, proper time, with which I have been entrusted by the command of of God our Savior." So He's been entrusted with that to proclaim it. So I, the reason I, I like stone to that though is that okay, who who de- who decides that it's proper? Like why is this time proper? Mm-hmm. God, does. God said it was proper. That's why. <laughs> so from, by uh, our calling, basically, in from uh, Romans eight, mm-hmm. uh, basically the situation is that uh, uh, I mean I heard for years. I mean, I was in church uh, constantly when I was in the Methodist church, but basically the situation is that I never, I never heard, uh, but basically what happened was that uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, he allowed me to hear, uh, and what Christ kept saying all the time is, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, yep. And so what happens is that uh, uh, it's... It's going to be a time that it's going to be when you will actually get it. Yep. Uh, and so the situation is that uh, uh, 
uh, and you can't conjure it up. Uh, and so what happens is it, uh, it's, uh, it, it is when you were called. Uh, well, I like the way you just said that. So that's actually the reason for its inclusion. You can't conjure it up. Right. Like, and I think this is where a lot even, of even evangelicalism even in a, our area gets wrong, is there's this idea that we make these persuasive arguments and then people with their will conjure up faith. Like, I have faith because you made the best argument. Okay? Well, that's, that, there's, there's no assurance in that, and the reason for that is what happens when that guy comes along and makes a better argument. That's right. No. Faith is a work of the Spirit. So yes, um, we don't conjure it up. God provides that. And that's the reason that it abides. And I'm looking ahead. Perseverance is one of the uh, blessings we have not looked at yet. There's a reason that the, 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 uh, the saints persevere, and it's not us. <laughs> I, I wish <clears throat> some of this had been uh, uh, told to me, uh, you know, when I was uh, first a Christian, uh, basically mm-hmm. what happened was that uh, we used to go uh, all the time from Campus Crusade for Christ, we were out there in California, and we would go to the beaches. And, uh, you know, it was like when we would go to the beaches and we would share the gospel, uh, it was like, oh, if I could just come up with the right words. Right. <laughs> and and uh, understanding seriously understanding the, the right I mean, words are I, the gospel. I had, That's I it. had I had no idea uh, that uh, I mean, but basically it is uh, our responsibility to get those words out there. Uh, that's that. Uh, yes, uh, now that I agree with. But that's 10. the means. That's, so that's what we were talking 10. about. Uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing Here's by the, the word, word of God. God. So right. yes, we do have that responsibility. Absolutely. It. But basically, the situation is that what we have to do is we have to understand that it ain't me. That's it. It's absolutely it. In spite of you. So <laughs> it's in spite of you. Right. <laughs> kind of already alluded to this, but. I'm differentiating specifically saving faith from other kinds of faith. Um, I've often mentioned here um, the three elements of saving faith in my teaching and in my preaching. So bear with me if this sounds repetitive, because it is. (laughs) But I repeat it because I think it's important. Um, So there's the intellectual element um, known as the notitia. That's just a Latin word, and I don't really care if you remember the Latin word. If you walk away from here and forget it, I don't care. I want you to understand the concept, okay? So the notitia is the intellectual element, and that's more so what I'm wanting you to get. This references the knowledge of the specific content of the Christian religion. So... There is something to be believed, right? Um, so basically, what this element is is just simply, I know what the something to be believed is. Okay? I understand what it is. All right? That's not saying whether I agree with it. It's not saying how I interact with it at all, actually. It's just saying simply, I know what it is. Okay? <clears throat> 
Then there is the emotional element, which is called the ascensus. Um, as you might can tell from how you say that, this is to give assent, ascensus, assent. That is to give assent to the content of the Christian religion. So in other words, you are convicted of the truth, uh, truth claims that are made by the Christian religion. So you know the content, you assent intellectually, you assent to the fact that it is true. So I know what it is and I know it's real, it's right, it's true. Okay. And a side note on that, if you believe those two, it qualifies you to be a demon. <laughs> Amen. He was listening when I was talking. Amen. <laughs> yes, that qualifies you to be on the same level as the demons because the demons know the content of the Christian religion and they know it's true and they absolutely hate it. Yeah, they tremble. We don't even tremble. Right? Right. So, we don't even tremble. That's the first two, okay? And both of those are necessary. But one more thing is necessary for it to be saving faith. So finally, there is the volitional element, which we call the fiducia. You should remember that because it's fun to say. Fiducia. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun to say, okay? Um, Louis Burkhoff describes the fiducia in these terms. He says... Quote, the crowning element of saving faith is the fiducia. So we should go asking people, hey, do you have the fiducia faith? If it give, well, actually, if, it, if you are concerned about a false conversion, I mean, maybe that could be a uh, segue into a conversation because, I mean, if you just walk up to them and say that, they're going to look at you really funny, but you may be able to then explain what you mean. So, yeah, you can actually walk up to somebody and say that. Hey, I got fiducia <clears throat> <laughs> I said, excuse me? <laughs> um, What'd you say to me? <laughs> Gazoon <Gesundheit>, right? <laughs> um, Burkhoff said, back on actually what Fiducia is, Burkhoff says, quote, Faith is not merely a matter of the intellect, nor of the intellect and the emotions combined. It is also a matter of the will, determining the direction of the soul. An act of the soul going out towards its object and appropriating this. Without this activity, the object of faith, which the sinner recognizes as true and real and entirely applicable to his present needs, remains outside of him. And in saving faith, it is a matter of life and death that the object be appropriated. This third element consists in personal trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, including a surrender of the soul as guilty and defiled to Christ and a reception and appropriation of Christ as the source of pardon and spiritual life. End quote. <clears throat> Sam Waldron nicely summarizes all of this when he says, quote, Faith is a conviction which moves us to an appropriate response. It is not the merely passive persuasion of our intellect. It is not mere assent to certain doctrines. It is a whole-souled conviction of the truth leading to a commitment to the Christ of the gospel. End quote. 
In other words, it is the conviction of the whole person leading to commitment, as in covenant commitment to Christ. This explains why saving faith is something that is proven by good works. We talked about good works last week. Faith and works certainly relate to each other. Our faith is proven by our good works. Faith is the means by which we enter into covenant with God in a similar way to how we enter into a marital covenant with our spouses by the exchanging of vows. How I treat my wife is not the means of my marriage to her. But if the marriage is healthy, how I treat my wife is evidence of my being in marital covenant with her. Among the evidence for her being my wife is that I treat her like she is my wife. Likewise, we enter into the new covenant by faith alone. It's like I enter into marriage by vows alone. We enter into this covenant by faith alone, but the fact that we have entered into covenant by that faith is evidenced by our good works in the same way that the way that I treat my wife, if I'm treating her rightly, is evidence of the fact that we're married. We will consider how faith relates to some of the other saving graces as we continue through these blessings, but I would like to conclude the section of faith proper uh, with this important point in the confession, and then we're going to look at some proof texts. Okay? The confession says, quote, the principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. End quote. Now, one reason I want to include that is because of a personal struggle that I had when I was younger, and I've talked about this here before, but I think it's appropriate to mention it here again. When I was younger, I struggled with the assurance of salvation. And the reason I struggled with the assurance of salvation is because I kept having this idea that I had to believe hard enough. If there was doubt or if there was sin, I must not believe hard enough and therefore I must not be saved. My faith was in my faith. See, and it's a vicious circle. My faith was in my ability to appropriate Christ. And... For that reason and others, I'm not even so sure I had saving faith at that point. But when this clicked, when I realized, no, it is not um, my faith as in I merit salvation by my faith, but rather it is my faith in the sense that I am joined to Christ thereby. Assurance has never left me since that day. So it's very important. That would be analogous to the uh, uh, to my experience, and that is that uh, basically uh, I hit that verse uh, in First John five twelve, which says uh, His Spirit will witness with your spirit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But basically, what I was looking for uh, was 
I was looking for some assurance of uh, salvation. And so when I hit that, uh, then, uh, I mean, obviously it took another uh, nine months uh, for uh, the thing to actually transpire. But basically, I knew what I was looking for for the first time. Uh, and basically, I knew that it was not going to be within me, it was going to be without. Absolutely. Uh, and so then what happens is that uh, I knew what I was looking for. Not that awesome. I ever thought that I would be able to find it, but basically uh, I really, uh, I was trusting the fact that he said that it was possible. Uh, and so the situation is that, uh, uh, you know, when it happened, I knew what was going on. I knew that I'd hit there. I knew that it was over. Uh, and so... I mean, it was awesome. fantastic. Um, and, I mean, we'll get into that a little more, too, because, um, again, looking ahead, assurance is yet another one of these blessings. Um, but we're not going to get into that tonight. Uh, okay, our, our scripture references or proof text, however you want to label it. So we're going to start in John, as promised, <laughs> chapter 1. And uh, we are looking at verses 11 through 13. So John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. The, uh, so uh, verse 11 starts with the pronoun he. He is the word, which in verse 14 we see becomes flesh, and we know him as Jesus. So this is talking about Christ. It says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed or had faith in his name. So you see, the object of faith is him. Okay? He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. So it was something that was physically done, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, so not outwardly or inwardly done by us in any sense, but of God. Okay. All right. Uh, I think it may be required, given that this is the verse that even every pagan knows by heart. Uh, John 3.16 <laughs> uh, and, and, and 17 with it, actually. Um, and I could go on past that, really, because he keeps talking about those who believe and those who don't believe, but we'll just look at John 3.16 and 17. Uh, 3, it <clears throat> says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him so again, you've got the believing, but then you've got the object of faith is Jesus. Should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Alright, uh, now let's go to John chapter 6. And really, I've got two passages in John chapter 6. 
Um, we'll just look at them together. So we're going to start in verse 35. So John chapter 6, verse 35, and we'll go down to verse 37. Then we're going to skip ahead to verse 44 and go through verse 48. Okay? So John 6, 35 through 37, and 44 through 48. Okay? Um, and we had some discussion on part of this. I don't remember how many weeks ago now, but I know recently. And so I, um, part of that, I, I'm going to go into that too because I think it relates to the faith. Um, all right, picking up in verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So I will go ahead and say the coming and the believing are the same thing. Okay? But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me so there was a prior giving from father to son. So there's something happening within the Holy Trinity here. There is a giving from the father to the son. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And again, the coming is a coming in faith. Okay. So now skip down to verse 44. So still chapter 6 of John Starting in verse 44 and then going through verse 48, it says, No one can come to me. So there is a lack of ability here on our part. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that's what we had discussion on a few weeks ago was that word draw. So let me finish the passage, but I'm going to come back to that. We're going to talk about that for a minute. But uh, he, so, And again, this is Jesus talking. I don't think I said that, but that's, this is Jesus talking. So he says, the same ones the Father draws, he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who, tru uh, who is truly from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, here it is, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now, the Greek word that is translated as draws, so the Father's drawing, okay? That, that word is, forgive me if I slaughter this, but I think it, you pronounce it uh, helkuse. Uh, I'm looking at that actually in the Greek, so forgive me. Helkuse, I think is how you say that. Which literally means to drag, to pull, persuade, or unsheath. The idea is one of forcibly moving. So it's not a, the father offers the best argument kind of thing. Yeah, it's not like that. It's, it's more along the facts of the will is changed. Because before, remember, you can't. No one can come to me unless. So there's Martin Luther's, Martin Luther's phrase, the bondage of the will. <clears throat> but then the Father, and we in other passages read through the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that regenerates. And in fact, John 3, 
the Spirit is the one who uh, regenerates, gives us the new birth. The Spirit is the one who gives us the faith, okay? But the Father, working through the Spirit, um, changes the will through regeneration and then makes us willing and able to believe, which is what the confession says, okay? So it is not just the Father is begging and bidding us come, though He is, but it's more. He's changing us such that we will come. We will absolutely come. This is the same word that's used when Paul and Silas are brought into the center of town. Before oh, is it? it now, is. See, I didn't realize that, but yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the okay. So that that even displays the idea. I'm glad you brought that up. What verse is that again? Uh, it is chapter six, verse forty-four. John six forty-four. Um, and, and so, but what I was saying is, all of those that are drawn actually do come in faith and we see that because the next thing Jesus says is I will so it's a certainty raise him up on the last day well only those who are born again are raised up on the last day in this sense now we do have the everybody's going to be raised up in the sense to be judged but that's not what he's talking about here Okay, he's talking about I will raise them up to glory in the last day. Okay? So uh, that is... That's all my John passages for this. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 1 then. And uh, just two verses here. So Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Well, you're in good company. It's the same one that uh, changed Martin Luther as well. Um, It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, now, staying in Romans, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and we are looking at verses 1 through 8. Truth be told, we could probably just read the entire chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to say 1 through 8. But go read the whole chapter on your own because the whole chapter is about faith. Um, But picking up in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith 
is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count or impute his sin. Just as a side note um, on this passage in particular, because um, I've heard this used in this way, and so I, if you're ever having conversation with uh, Roman Catholic friends or opponents or whatever it may be, um, James White likes to go to this passage and ask the question, who is the blessed man? Um, they can't really give an answer to that. So uh, I, I think it really is a, a good place to, uh, to go. All right. Um, Galatians chapter 3. We spent a lot of time in Galatians chapter 3 while we've been considering um, covenant theology. Um, but we're going to go back again. Galatians chapter 3 verses 11 through 14. It says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for, well, he's repeating this, right? Because we just read this in Romans. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right, one more. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. All right. We'll go ahead and start the next one, but we're not going to get through it. <laughs> We've got 10 minutes. I think we can cover a little bit in 10 minutes. Okay. The next um, the next blessing of the new covenant uh, that we're going to consider is the next chapter, if you're following along, repentance, okay? Uh, chapter 15, sections 2 and 3 of the Confession say this. 
There is no one who does good and does not sin. Even the best may fall into great sins and offenses through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them, along with the strength of temptation. Therefore, God has mercifully provided in the covenant of grace, it's explicitly said to be through the covenant of grace this is provided, that believers, specifically believers, who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance to salvation. This saving repentance, so we had saving faith, now we have saving repentance as opposed to not saving or unsaving repentance. This saving repentance is a gospel grace. So it is a gracious gift from God that comes through the means of the gospel in which those who are made aware by the Holy Spirit of the many evils of their sin by faith in Christ humble themselves for it with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and self-loathing. They pray for pardon and strength of grace and determine and endeavor by provisions from the Spirit to live before God in a well-pleasing way in everything. Maybe I will remember to draw this next time because this will be a whole lot easier if I actually draw it, I think. And that's saying something because I can't draw. Um, But um, Sam Waldron, following A.N. Martin, uses the analogy of a tree to helpfully explain this concept of repentance. So next Wednesday, somebody ask me, am I going to draw the tree so I don't forget? Okay? I'm not going to do it right now because we have eight minutes, so I would take the whole time up trying to draw the thing. But just imagine this right now, and I'll try to draw it next week if you'll remind me. Uh, First, there's the soil of repentance. The soil is that it is a gospel or a saving grace. Or, to put it another way, the soil is that It is a blessing of the new covenant graciously given by God to its members. Waldron states, quote, It is a plant that grows only in the renewed soil of the regenerate heart. True repentance, then, is more than what Roman Catholic theology calls attrition. It is more, that is to say, than a dislike of the consequences of sin, fear of hell, or an outward reformation of life. End quote. It is those things, but it's more than those things. Second, there are the roots of repentance. Again, Waldron states, quote, The function of the roots of a tree is to nourish the tree. Exactly this is what we are now thinking of in relation to repentance. True repentance is nourished by and grows out of Two great convictions in a soul. Two things must become realities, vivid aspects of a man's consciousness, if we are to repent. These two realities are called by the shorter catechism a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Thirdly, there is the trunk and branches of repentance. Again, Waldron explains... The trunk and branches of a tree are its main or essential features. When you look at a tree, that's really what you're looking at, right? Um, 
just so when we come to discuss the trunk and branches of true repentance, we are speaking of its essence, the central nature of repentance. This is described for us in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, that it was necessary to put that word in front of repentance, saving repentance, because there is a kind of repentance, scripturally speaking, that leads to death. The idea is that there is a sorrow over and hatred for sin such that it causes the sinner to turn away from sin at the level of the heart. It is not merely an outward reforming of the behavior, but a wholesale change from the heart. To repent literally means to change your mind or your direction. It is a turning away from sin and a turning to Christ. Both of these components must be present for repentance to be genuine and saving. There is both the turning from sin and the turning to Christ at the heart level. As R.C. Sproul states, quote, genuine repentance or contrition comes from a heart that is broken because we have become acutely aware of how awful our sin really is. We then detest our sin and are genuinely contrite. We have a broken spirit because we have injured and violated the holiness of God. End quote. And then finally, there is the fruit of repentance. So the main feature may be the trunk and the branches, but the reason we plant trees is for the fruit, right? This is simply the determination mentioned in the confession by provision from the Spirit to live before God in a well-pleasing way in everything. In other words, this is the obedience to God which results from repentance. On this point, it is critical to understand, as Waldron says, forsaking of sin is not the achievement of perfect or sinless obedience forever. It is a genuine purpose and endeavor to this end. In other words... It's our disposition. It's a way of life. It's what we do. We are constantly repenting. We live a life of repentance. We don't... Uh, this, is, this is why the confession goes on to say of repentance that it must continue throughout our lives because of the body of death and its activities. In other words, repentance is a way of life for the believer and not merely a one-time event. Okay? All right. How does that how does it fit with First uh, John 1 now? Uh, Let me turn over there and read it. (laughs) uh, We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so the situation is that that sounds like uh, a consolidation of all of what uh, you are uh, uh, trying to drive at. But basically the situation is I don't want to leave anything out. No, I think, yeah, I think that is uh, perfectly consistent. Yeah, so it, it says, uh, you pretty well quoted it, but I'm going to read it out loud again. If we confess our sins, so that's a recognition, it's, confess is to say the same thing, okay? So God already says it's sin. We confess that what God says of our sin is in fact the case. So if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a sorrow over sin here, right? So there's a confession. Along with the confession, there's going to be a sorrow because I'm not just saying the same thing as God. I'm also having the same disposition about it as God. Um, So I confess my sins. Is this a more concise way to think about it? Perhaps. I mean, perhaps. I think think the difference is in this passage, it is a self-recognition of the sin. And the other passage is more speaking to the repentance that comes from recognizing the sin. We're confessing our sin that you see your sin as as far as as trying to... uh, you're put saying it, to summarize? Put it in a smaller box. Yeah, I mean, it could. I, I think it could because you do, You have the... So, you remember, you have the two parts, okay? Yeah, right. You've got... You've got to understand... The sorrow and the hatred for it, and you have the turning. Yeah. So, have we, have a, we have a hatred for our sin, and we have a complete trust in God. There you right. go. Okay? That's what I'm saying. So, yes. So, we have the confession here. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? So yes, I, I do think that's that's good and consistent with it. Um, y'all, y'all bear with me for a second because I'm, I'm going I'm going into overtime on this, but I think I can get this in rather quickly. So y'all bear with me for a second. Finally, there is the fruit of repentance uh, that we've you know we've already kind of been talking about. Um, and this is the determination we were talking about. Um, this is what we were talking about here in this passage, actually, I think. Because the fruit of it is a confession, actually. It's a, but, um, and then, uh, but what I was saying, though, it's a way of life, okay? It's a constant turning from sin. Because we continue to have this battle with the old man throughout, right? Um, so it... In a sense, it is a one-time event in the sense of repent and believe the gospel, okay? But then in another sense, it's a constant repent, okay? Yes, we live a life of repentance. So the final consideration on this grace of repentance is its relation to saving faith. Scripture seems to speak of repentance as if it were a condition for entrance into the new covenant at times. John the Baptist preached a message of repentance and baptized with the baptism of repentance. The first recorded words of Christ's earthly ministry in Matthew 4.17 are, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but repent. Following the great Pentecostal sermon from Peter, we see this exchange in Acts 2.37-39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Believe and be baptized. No. He said, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. But... We've argued that faith, and faith alone, is the condition for entrance into the covenant of grace. So how are we to understand this? The answer is really a little more simple than it may seem. 
Though faith and repentance are distinct things, repentance is not faith and faith is not repentance, they are inseparably connected such that one cannot be present without the other. Again, Waldron explains, repentance and faith depict different realities. Repentance is expressed by two Greek words. One means a change of mind about God and sin. The other means a turning from sin to God. Faith is the conviction of the truth and a commitment to Christ, a closely related but distinct thing. Repentance and faith are directed toward different objects. Repentance focuses on God and His law. Faith focuses on Christ and His grace. Repentance and faith possess different roles in salvation. The Bible, for instance, never asserts that we are justified by repentance. Faith highlights the grace that works salvation. Repentance highlights the change that salvation works. It is the necessary response of a regenerate soul to God and sin. On the other hand, repentance and faith are so intimately connected that one cannot exist without the other. You cannot repent unless you believe. You cannot believe unless you repent. All true faith is repentant. All true repentance is believing. Thus, both faith and repentance are necessary to be saved. Only one may be pressed on sinners in a given situation because truly doing the one involves doing the other. End quote. So, that brings the blessing of repentance to a conclusion. Do we have any discussion on any of that? No. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm gonna, looking ahead, we have four more blessings of the covenant to consider. And uh, these are perseverance, assurance of salvation. Those are the ones that are in the confession. And then there's also resurrection and glorification. So, Lord willing, we will start diving in, maybe cover all those, but I have doubts. <laughs> um but at least we'll start diving into that next week. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to come together as your people and learn about you and to learn about your covenant and to learn more about ourselves even um, in relation to those things. Uh, we thank you for all of these blessings that are ours because... You have granted to us saving faith and you have brought us into covenant with yourself um, for Christ's sake, for Christ's glory, but nevertheless we are blessed by it um, in all of these ways that we're discussing and um, we are so grateful and thankful for that and I pray that you would help us to um, live lives of repentance um, with a disposition of repentance and humility before you and living in such a way that it magnifies the grace of Christ in each of our lives. Um, and hopefully thereby we'll bring some to the same faith and repentance. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.